Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, my guest is a is a b-boy, DJ, producer. He has a show on KEXP. I recently ran into him uh, a few weeks ago at Snoop Dogg's Snoopadelic show at Supernova. I'm excited to dive into his background a little bit, um, talk about the, the changes in, in hip-hop and DJing in Seattle, and just uh, learn more about the the... The man, the myth, the legend himself, Supreme LaRock. He's uh, he's an OG in Seattle, and I'm, I'm very excited to learn more about you, man. So thanks Greens. for being here. Definitely. Yeah, we had a we had a a funny interaction when we first met. I was handing out dicks to people at at Supernova. <laughs> <laughs> um, cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers. For those that don't know. Yes. There's a restaurant in Seattle called Dicks <laughs> with great cheeseburgers. Yes, Dicks is doing their best to figure out ways to connect with artists, whether we're about to go to South by Southwest nice. and bring some artists down there. Um, I know Macklemore did something with Dix like in 2012 when he was like on top of the Dix building. Right. Um, Sir Mix a lot has done stuff with Dix. Um, but now, he didn't. You know, I'm Nick, in the video, right? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the video where they're at Dix. I'm in that part of the video. I haven't even seen the video, to be honest. Okay. But that was shot at Stan's. On Rainier, that wasn't at Dick's, because huh. Dick's wouldn't let him do the video there. Interesting, huh? Yeah. When what year was that then? Was am I off? Oh, late eighties. Okay, so then they had they had Macklemore on Dick's though, so it's right, interesting. So it's like, the the change. I in, think they always regret it once mm. it, the song came out and the video came out and how big he went. Yeah. I think they always knew they effed up at that point. Right. So when the time came, and Macklemore, I think they probably rolled out the red carpet. Like, You're come right. on. Yeah. Damn. Twenty twenty vision for certain things. That's. I had no idea. Yeah. Huh. You can go watch it. I will. I, I'll have to. So, how can I add this just for audience? How old are you? I'll be fifty five this year. Gee. So you've seen you've seen, a, you've seen the the whole evolution of hip hop basically. I have. That's wild. I mean, it's hip hop's fiftieth birthday this year, and we were just talking about it on the way over here. Like I was five years old, basically, when it was starting. Mm. And when I was about eleven, I went to New York City, mm. and that's when I witnessed it. And I've been into it since then. It's like mm. it's still fairly new. You know, yeah. it was like I don't know, ten years old or something. However old it was, and it wasn't even ten yet. I don't think, but right. So I was early. <laughs> I was just I was just early on things. Damn, you have to check out. You haven't checked out my Cool Rock Ski interview even. I haven't checked any of uh, them out. Yeah, I ain't gonna front. I'm like, hurt. It's kind of it's cool though <laughs> because that night when we met, yeah, you didn't know nothing about me. Fair you knew enough. Nothing. Yeah. Right. And I knew nothing about you. That's wild how things like right. like people can exist in the city and I have no idea. I know. It's a Seattle's like a small big city, I guess. Or what do you think at this I don't point? Know. We all, I mean, we're all connected in a way yeah. through something, through yeah. somebody or, or something, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But uh, we always find out down the line. Mm -hmm. We're here now. That's all that matters. 100%. So I went to New York for the first time, what, May? I think in May for two, on tour with a comedian. Mm -hmm. And that was my first experience. And it was, it was, I was up from, I flew in at 5 a.m. and it was up until the next day at 5 a.m. So like 24 hours in New York, just like taking it all in. Right. So I can't imagine going at 11 years old. Was that like inspiring then even? Oh, crazy inspiring. Like crazy. Yeah, I think I ain't seen nothing like that coming from out here. Yeah. 
and it was a lot different back then. Mm. Like it was, just, that's like kind of when gang culture was coming out. I mean, mm. it was at the end of gang culture, and hip hop was coming in. Mm. Disco was fading out. It was just, uh, but exciting, right. exciting. You know what I'm saying? And so, how you've been to like? Did you live in New York? Because I, from the interviews I've listened to, like you were back and forth to New York. Like, no, once I went, I started going as much as I could. Okay. I just go all the, you know, like. Whenever I could, at least every summer, because mm-hmm. I'd start going to like the Rocksteady anniversary yeah. and hip hop events and things like that. Hell yeah! So, how old were you when you first? So you, I, I've checked out your interviews about like you getting involved with DJing and how b boying and that kind of like intertwined. So, but how old were you when you first like landed any type of deal? Because you've been through a few. Yeah. So. I was, I think, 22. Oh, shit. Wow. Maybe 21, 22. And then, from my understanding, at first it wasn't even about, like, taking it seriously to make money from DJing. You just enjoyed the art. Yeah, we were just doing what we loved. You know, we were just kids doing what we loved. And then, obviously, hip-hop, the music, Mm. started making money, and so corporations saw that. And started putting out records and whatnot. We were talking the other day, like it was never even meant to be on records mm-hmm. from the beginning, you know. But uh, yeah, it wasn't. We just did it out the because we loved it. Right. I still love it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I wouldn't be here. Like I still love it. And why do you still love it though? I think because it makes me. I get the memory of when I was young. Mm. It brings me back to my youth, which is, you know, when you're growing up and your parents say, oh, this is the best time of your life. You don't believe them. Right. And then you get older and you feel, you realize, yeah, they're right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is the best time of my life. Yeah. Right. Like if something brings you joy, like why wouldn't you want to be around that? Fair enough. So, so did you ever think there was going to be like all these different like sub genres of hip-hop and like when did you first see i never thought that i never thought a lot of things (laughs) i never thought i'd be doing it still or you know be around like i figured i'll dabble for a few years you know and i just never stopped doing it Hmm. but yeah i never had a vision of like oh it's gonna go down south and then they're gonna pop off and then the west coast is gonna happen like i'm not Mm -hmm. i mean it's inevitable you know i thought uh an artist might come out of other places. I was thinking more like Chicago, Detroit, but right. eventually everybody gets their shine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good but mo like it started in New York, correct? Yes. And that's is that where hip hop labels started even? Or well, yeah, cuz Sugar Hill and Joey Records. Okay. And and uh, the, it was the Robinson family. And then when you got your first deal, it was as a see that what I'm trying to understand is DJ is was DJing the same thing as producing at the time, like were you? No, not at all. So you wouldn't be signed. You wouldn't be signed as a DJ slash producer, or would no, you? No, no, no. We were. I was producing. Okay. Using drum machines and samplers and got it. Working in the studio. I wasn't even DJing yet. I didn't start DJing until I think it was eighty three. Okay. Then when did you start producing them? Well, I started producing after I started DJing. Oh, so got it. What happened okay. was I was a b boy. Like right. I started out young. I was a dancer, mm-hmm. so I'd buy records to dance to. Mm-hmm. 
and I'd look up, uh, like there was a Village Voice, and it had like the top 100 uh, b-boy breaks to dance. So I was like, well, I need all these. I'd go out and look for those records. Mm-hmm. So I'd buy records to dance to. Then, you know, rap music started coming out. I'd buy those records. And I always like funk. I like Rick James and stuff like that when it was yeah. coming out. And uh, one day, uh, well, a concert came to town. It was the Treacherous Three, mm. Kumo D's group. Mm. And they're, I saw their DJ, and I was floored. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Right. You know, it was something that intrigued me. I said, okay, I want to learn that. So that's when, around the time I started DJing. But I already had records, see? Right. I had been buying records for years. You're ahead of the curve. Even man. since I was a kid. I started... I got a, a record player when I was four for Christmas, and I was intrigued by that. And my babysitter, when I was a kid, used to always play records. So mm. I'd stand there and watch the record player, watch it go around. Mm. They damaged me. My, my parents damaged me. <laughs> like, so wait, so how does, how does? But if you're a DJ, that doesn't always lead into production. No, not always. Okay. I think I think naturally it should or does okay. but you're right it doesn't always but uh i think i bought like eric b and rakim's first album mm-hmm. i'm realizing hey that's james brown or this is that i know this record yeah yeah. i know this record right and i hear how they chopped it or took the little part of it and put it together mm-hmm. and then i started doing that it was just like something another thing i was intrigued by right. i was like I want to do that too. I still get excited about so, that when I like when you find samples from a song and then like you listen to it. Like I'd, I'd say Motown is probably my favorite type of music. I know? get excited when I find something that somebody flipped really good, mm-hmm. where it's almost hard to tell that's the sample. Right. Like right. they did it so well. Like did it so good. Yeah, I know. Like. I know Kanye's canceled right now, but he was pretty good at that shit. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. He's going to get mad at me, but I think he's just slightly overrated. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. He's great. So do you have like let's a favorite? Let's, let, let's not take that away. He's great. Right? right. Who's your favorite producer then? I like Paul C. Okay. He's dead, so R.I.P. Paul C. But he was early in hip hop. He just... He knew what he was doing. He just gave the drums like this monstrous thump, hmm. you know. He knew how to engineer good, you know. Was chopping samples early. Hmm. But uh, Paul C., Marley Marl, Large Professor, Pete Rock, DJ Premier. Yeah, Macklemore just got a song with PJ. Did you check that out yet? Yeah, he has Premier doing a cuts. Mm-hmm. Premier didn't produce it. Oh. Voodoo produced it. Oh. But Premier's just doing the, the chorus, the cuts. Oh. I had no idea. Okay. I have yeah. to... Is it always like... Is, it's always a... It's a mixed... It's a mixed bag for that usually though, right? When yeah, it's Premier's on. It's a mixed bag. Okay. So that's it's a funny thing because he, he goes by... Well, he has that hip hop duo with Royce 5'9 called... Is that Preem? Is that what it's called? Um, I don't remember I think the name. It's, have you checked that out though? Yeah, for it's sure. it's funny because like because yeah. you go by pre- that's interesting about hip hop is when is it when is it um what is it I don't know if 
I don't know if fan service is the right word. When is it like biting someone's name versus like showing them respect? Like even from when how you got your name Supreme LaRock. So when is it like cool versus being like you're actually stealing someone's name? That's a great question. But uh, the thing with hip hop is currently you have little this and little that, right? Yeah. Everybody's little. Mm. Are they biting each other's name? They're all little. Right. So are they biting each other's names? Are they paying homage to you? Like, what is that? You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And so when I was coming up, everyone was rock, like Danny D rock mm. or ski, like cool mm. rock ski. Yeah. Everybody was rock or ski mm-hmm. when I was coming up. And then there was a lot of bigs, the big L, um, big pun. You mm. know, a lot of people were big and then everyone was little. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, how do you answer that? That's a good, because even if, even if you look at like Aesop Rock or Aesop Rocky, right. that's super close, but I feel like they didn't even know. No, they um, don't know. It's just yeah. hip hop, like. Fair. Why did that become a thing to have like a, a stage name in hip hop? Even I think I don't even know if they were stage names back then. Okay. Because it wasn't really stages; they were just in parks. Right. It was just this more of a street name, oh. a street moniker. And it's just carried over. Okay. But it's like Kendrick Lamar. Is that? I mean, is that his? Yeah. That's just his name, right? That's his. I think Kendrick. I think Kendrick's is, I mean, Lamar's his middle name or something. It's either, I think it's Kendrick Duckworth Lamar or something like mm-hmm. that. It's something, right. it's just like mixing his middle name and last name or something. I forget. But but I know, I, I see a few cats using their names now, just yeah. using their names. Like Drake, but that's his middle name too, I think. Interesting. Okay. So you got your first deal at 22. Has What, did, what does a deal at that time look like? And what, this is in the 80s? Yeah, this was it's like around ninety, I think. Okay. Like coming out of the eighties. So first off, before I got that deal, I was talking with Nasty Mix, and that's her mix lots. It was nasty. It was um, actually Sheila Locke's label. Okay. But they named it after Nasty Ness, who was a DJ around town, mm-hmm. and Mix Lots, Nasty Mix, mm-hmm. Na- Nasty Ness and Mix Lot, Nasty Mix. They named it after them. They had huge success with Mix. And they had just put out Criminal Nation, I believe. So I went and talked to them. And they were interested. But they said, we got a high performance coming up. They had uh, like two girls. I don't remember their names. Uh, I think this group called FX. FX. And that's from Seattle? They weren't from Seattle, but okay. they were signed to the label from Seattle. Got it. And so they're naming all these groups that are in front of us. And I'm like, well, when would we come out? You know, and they're like, it's going to be a while. And I'm just like, no, we want to come out right now. Like, you know, we're excited. We want to come out next week, basically. Like, right. we're ready to go. And so I didn't, I didn't want to wait. So I started going to other record companies. And then one picked me up. It was called... Uh, ever rap okay but they were successful well i think it was a punk rock label called ever rat and they were distributed through enigma which was a big company at the time Mm -hmm. and so since they had success i felt great about it 
But once again, it's funny because I all I wanted was this machine. It was called the SP-1200. That's all I wanted. So they were like, well, what do you guys want? And I said, just buy me an SP-1200. Hmm. I didn't ask for like no crazy advance money or nothing. I just wanted the SP-1200. Were they doing that at the time, though? Were they still like... When did it go from like a record deal, deal just having a name versus a record deal actually like having money to support what someone was doing? Because if hip hop was brand new, still it was even though new. it was they were given advances, they were okay. given money, but it was very little, right? Got it. They might sign a rock band, and I don't know what they were back then. Maybe fifty grand, a hundred grand, whatever it was. Okay. But then a rap group might get ten grand. Right. You know, it's like a small percentage of what. It, another band would get so if hip-hop was still super new were they not taking many chances on hip-hop artists or were they taking a lot of chances they were taking chances but they weren't they were playing it safe they weren't putting money really behind them okay right probably thinking like kind of like winning the lotto like let's spend a dollar and and let's see what happens got it uh eric b and rakim was the first group to get a million dollar deal oh wow and that was like unheard of back then hmm I think that was 87, 88, I don't remember, somewhere around there. But, but there were already like big deals for that for like other genres probably? Other genres were getting those deals regularly. Got it. it was nothing. Huh. But not for rap. Now I heard what, NBA young boy got some crazy. Yeah. Crazy, like 300 million or something. Some, <laughs> yeah. some ridiculous. Like something just crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking insane. So then how do. So why were labels interested in picking you up? Was it because you had tapes that you can show them? Was it because like you were starting to get a name as a DJ or like what interested these labels? I I uh I put a record out myself. I pressed my own record. Mm-hmm. And then we were uh getting airplay and people were t- we had a buzz in the street basically. Mm-hmm. And so they were interested. They'd heard about us. They heard us on the radio. We were number one on the charts on the out here, like on the radio. Okay. Like above everybody, above everybody that was out. And so they were interested at that point. And they were starting a rap division. They wanted, they were looking for rap. So at, there was a point where there were actually like decent labels in Seattle and radio stations that were giving airplay. Cause it seems like where we are now, there's, Almost zero labels, but there's like some distro deals, like sub pop or whatever. Deals, yeah. Or like people, like a lot of my friends, I've realized, even though I've had KX people, KEXP people on the show, mm-hmm. you're part of KXP even. Yes. A lot of my friends who are artists think they have no shot of even being on KXP, so they don't even reach out. So there's like a stigma that people think that like KXP is like, somewhat an independent radio station but they still don't feel like they're going to be supported if they even submit something so and they're shooting herself in the foot before they start right but that's not a great outlook fair but where do you where do you think that 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 stigma like that mindset comes from if you're saying that like in the 80s or 90s you were able to like go press your own thing and then go to a radio station and if that's the culture that seattle was pushing how are we in 2023 and there's thousands of artists in seattle that think there is no support whether there actually isn't or 
there's just some stigmas now that radios aren't going to support I'm going to say there's very little okay. support. There's support, mm. but it's almost none. Mm. It's very little, and it sucks. But, yeah, your friends are correct. But why? what changed, do you think? Well, I mean, it was all, it was the same back then. I was okay. just relentless, and I'm like, "Here's my joint, get it on." And Got it. I, it was funny because I went to the store. Um, it was Glenn Boyd. He had the rap show on KCMU back then. I remember I went. He worked at a record store. I went in the store one day. He said, "Hey, man, can you stop having your friends call the station and ask for your record?" <laughs> and I said, "Huh." He said, yeah, they call all day. We're getting tired of it. And I said, I haven't had, I haven't asked one person to call up. And he didn't believe me, but it felt so good. Yeah. You know, it was like the best feeling in the world. Damn. That's hilarious. Yeah. And rap was fairly new and especially from out here. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, maybe that's why, mm. you know, they wanted to support it with something different, something new. Got it. Okay. But I agree with your friends. I'm going to agree with them. It's tough. And it's, so it's always been tough, though. It's tough, but it's tough on commercial. Okay. KEXP, to me, I don't think that would be tough at all See. for them to say that. Like, oh, we can't get play. Yeah. And I, and I don't know how they're going about it. Right. Right? Right. Huh. Okay, so. And I'll say this as well. Yes. Because I tell this to artists all the time. I can't play what I don't have. Mm-hmm. Okay. People come up to me. I'm a D. They know I DJ. Hey, play my joint. I say, well, who are you? I'm blah blah blah. I'm a local rapper. Okay, mm. where's your joint at? Oh, it's on YouTube. I'm like, I don't play YouTube. Yeah, right. I don't play YouTube. Like, and they look at me like I'm supposed to have it. Like I should know what's up. Mm. So I'm like, <laughs> you're not doing your job. Before you even came up and say, hey, play my joint. You should talk to me when you can talk to me. Hey. I'm blah, blah, blah. I got a new joint out. If you could play it, that would be dope. How can I get it to you? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Then you've made a little friendship thing or whatever. You made a little impact, and then I'll be waiting for it, you know, and it'll come. Mm -hmm. So can artists still be, as a DJ, do you think artists can be broken in Seattle through being played in clubs at all? Or is that kind of a no-fly zone for DJs to play local music? It's weird because I was thinking about this earlier. Even like you said, everything's changed over the years, right? Mm. Everything's so different. And I'm like, do people that come to clubs, I don't know, do you go out? Yeah, I try. Okay, so when you go out, do you want to hear everything, all your favorite songs that you know? No, I personally don't. Or do don't. you want to hear something different thrown in or something new that you don't know? Because it's a DJ's, and to yeah. me, the school I come from, it's our job to break music, to introduce new music. Mm. Although, Things are different now. You have TikTok and you have all this other stuff. You know, it's still our job, but the streets break music, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's why if you have a silly dance challenge to some song and it goes viral, it's a big song. Right. That's in inter- Yeah, I feel. But I don't know if people go out just to hear the songs they know that they love. Yeah. You might be different. You might be a music head. That's why you want to hear. I know I want to hear something new. Yeah, I want to hear yeah, something yeah. I've never heard before. Right. But I'm different. I'm not the average club goer. I feel like people do want to just hear the same shit. I feel like a lot of people like listen to the same music and they get whatever Spotify pushes to them. Right. Versus like I go out of my way to like listen to old music, new music, 
whatever you know people email me their music to come on the show like i'm consistently listening to like you know what you know what i was i wish i had my phone um i was listening to seattle's finest in funk and soul 1965 weedles Groove. yes so that's what i was like that's what i was listening to you know i put that together yeah yeah so like a lot of people don't know right a lot of people have no idea (laughs) See, but that's like, that's like, I like that type of, besides the fact that like you're a guest on the show, like I genuinely like listening to that type of music, mm-hmm. you know, but I feel like most of my friends like to listen to the same thing over and over. Right. I think most people, yeah. the average Joe or Jill, yeah, they like what they like. They like to listen to everything over and over again. They love it. Yeah. I feel like I could play the biggest. It's funny too because when they come to the club, they request the most popular song. Yeah, I'm like, you don't think like you're not going to hear that tonight, or you they probably heard it already on the way over there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. They probably listened to it, but huh? It's funny that it would even request something that's so popular. Yeah, I but wonder- I but as a DJ, to answer your question, I try to break things. Right, I try to slide them in and get her see what the reaction is. But crowds are fickle and crowds are funny. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember um, Little Duffel Bag Boy. I forgot the name of the group, but Little Wayne did the chorus. Mm-hmm. I remember when I got it, I liked the record, and I was like, "I'm gonna play this. I'm gonna play this, man." And it basically it cleared the floor. I got dirty looks. Mm. No one was feeling it, and it was like. Three to six months later, it was just huge in the club, and everyone's asking for. Everyone loved it and was asking for mm. it. The singing along mm. was like, "Y'all are funny." Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Does that make you? Did you, that make you feel petty at all, though, or like feel like why do what I play this if I try to show you and now you don't? Because I feel like I get. No, I try to. I try to make the crowd happy. I try to. Right. They're there to have fun. I want them to have fun. You know. Do you? As a DJ, do you ever feel like, do you ever get emotionally attached to music? Sometimes I get too emotionally attached to music that I don't even want to play it around someone new right. or something because I don't want to form a memory around a favorite song. Yeah, but someone. I do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't, what is what is that? <laughs> I think we're passionate about music. That's, I think that's really what it is. Yeah. And it just touches you in a way. you like... Touches your soul. That's what mm-hmm. it does. I thought it was uh, funny when I was listening to your the biggest podcast in 2017. Um, you were saying there was a sw- switch that flipped from when you were playing music that you liked versus playing music that the crowd liked. Right. So how long did that take for you to like feel comfortable with that, though? Or do you still – is that kind of like a – 50-50 battle sometimes though because sometimes you do want to play music you like but you also want to play music that the audience likes so do you have to find like a happy medium or do you just go full send into what you think people are going to like I still hate to play music that everybody likes <laughs> yeah I really do yeah. because the way I look at it I've been doing this a long time mm-hmm. and I go around the world and I dig and I spend my own you know my money on Records that I feel are great. Mm. I'm like, people need to hear this. And I want to play. I want to introduce that to people. Mm. And I can, though. There's certain parties, right? Every party's not the same. Right. Right? There's just parties where I can do that. Yeah. 
And those are the parties I love that I walk away feeling pure. Mm. Like, this is why I do this. This is why I love this. And this is what it's supposed to be. Mm. Right. But I'm a very well-rounded DJ. Also, there's people that just do those parties and that's great. Hats off to them. But they also can't come and do the next party I'm doing because they wouldn't know how. Right. Right. Very versatile and do many different things. So with that, with that. Like the soul and funk thing or a hip hop party or a disco party. I think what that kind of bleeds into. So you're saying there's certain parties that maybe someone wouldn't succeed in or whatever. Do you think that also kind of leads into like gatekeepiness at all? Do you think, do you think there's like gatekeepiness? Not saying you specifically, but do you think there is like gatekeepiness in Seattle where certain DJs can only DJ at certain places depending on like how long they've been DJing? Like how do you, how do you build up? Not necessarily, but I feel there's, I feel there's communities and promoters that are kind of that way, right? Like the house community. Right. Like they're real like, well, it's funny to me because if you play, if you're like well-rounded like I am, they kind of look at you like, well, he doesn't play house, mm. right? I do play house, but it's I don't just play house, right? right. So mm. they kind of like, well, he's not a house guy. He's he's into all this other stuff. Like they want you to be tunnel vision on, on one thing. Hmm. That's how I see it. Huh. I would assume if you were like well-rounded in various genres. You you should be making more money than other art or other DJs, or is that I do? Okay, so would you recommend that for DJs then? To or is it also like for podcasting or even music? Sometimes it's better to be niche because it's, it's kind of safer to go that route to focus in on one thing. Or when you focus in on one thing, you know you're known for that, and so that can work for you. But like you said, if you're well-rounded, you can do many things. There's more opportunities, more doors are going to open for you. Got it. It depends on what you want to do, right? Mm. If Joe Blow over here wants to only play underground hip-hop on Tuesday night, he's probably not going to get many gigs and be living in mom's basement, (laughs) you know, his whole life. Yeah. Is there like a, what are some stereotypes in DJing? Because... From my understanding, you can make a lot of money in DJing. Is there like, is there kind of like a barrier to entry for that? Or if you know what you're doing, is it pretty easy? Nah, it's it's so weird. There's some spots I used to do in the 90s, I made way more money than some of the spots are offering now. Hmm. But the thing now is I think there's so many DJs. Everyone's a DJ. Yeah. You know, everyone says they DJ and I get it. If you're, you know, if your parents got you a computer and you downloaded some music for free and you mess around, have fun with it. And the club says, Hey, come play Monday night. We'll give you 50 bucks and free drinks all night. Hmm. You have zero investment, right? right? You're like, Hey, I'm getting 50 bucks, getting all the drinks I want. And I'm going to be the man or the woman of the hour. And I'm going to look cool. And people are going to see me. Hmm. And so they do it. You know? But you do have to start somewhere. Right. But it also kind of ruins the environment, you know, for DJing. Because hmm. it kind of sets the bar. 
They're like, well, we can get this guy for 50 bucks. Why would we get Supreme for $2,000? We can get this guy for 50 bucks. Right. Right. So how do you, how does a DJ like build up their like worth and their uh, reputation in a city? Is it just by playing more shows? Is it that straightforward or? I would say, I mean, I can, for me personally, I have a long list. Yes. Of production, you know, TV shows, movies, magazines, books, radio show, Hmm. tours. So I can show you why someone like me would. Right. Other other person, I mean, it's kind of, I look at it like this, right? Yeah. You have a chef that went to culinary school. Been cooking for 20 years. Nice. He's the man, right? Mm. Or you got a guy that just bought a really nice knife set and he wants to cook too. So which one? Should they get the same amount of money? No. Right. Mm. It's like any other job. You look at the resume. But a lot of clubs don't consider that or they don't look at it like that. Hmm. A lot of people don't even think DJing's a job. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 true too. Huh. When did that when when was that a switch? Did you ever make like a did you ever see like a mental switch where like people started not thinking DJing was as much of an, a job or a craft? When did I make the switch? Or no, like that you started seeing oh. it like in like audiences or just like society. I mean I still like that, right? People don't think it's a job. But has it al- it's always been like that, do you think? Yeah. Huh. Okay. I feel like... I feel like DJ DJing... Not saying it's not right now, but I feel like DJing used to be held to like a higher regard, and now it's a thing where like people, like oh, you were saying, right. can no, right just pick up a... Sure. And does that just come from technology, just like how anyone could be a rapper at this point? they buy a laptop i mean somewhat things have just changed if used to be dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince Mm -hmm. eric b and rakim like the dj's name used to come first right the dj was the focus oh shit that's a good point (laughs) yeah and a lot of groups and rappers don't even have djs anymore yeah that's so that's why they they've downplayed it over the years the dj was Bigger than the rapper in the beginning. Yeah. What was a rapper without a DJ? Nothing. That's that's a good point. I was just um, I'm not saying I'm the best DJ in the world, but I I'm I DJ a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not the best by any means, but I've been trying to work with like Miguel and like work with more DJs to like learn etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I I DJ for my friends' shows or concerts. I have I'm DJing. Oh, you do you know WD Forty? Of course. I'm I'm DJing with, release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So I'll be there. Um but I I'm going to Alaska with my friend Saint Dion. He's from Alaska, moved to Seattle, mm-hmm. and he's uh doing he's doing a show there and we had like a meeting with the Alaska and whatever the promoters and they're like, So we're just gonna call you guys Saint Dion, right? I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I, I get what you're. I didn't really, I didn't think about that until you just yeah. said that. That's, that's super funny, huh? Okay. Food for thought. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. But yeah, it's just it's been really downplayed over the years, and also, like I said, I think because there's so many, 
Mm. Like even now, if you go on Instagram or whatever, and you look at social media, you will really see, and the average person won't catch it, but you'll see a lot of fake DJing. Mm. They're like pre-recorded things and people pretend they're doing them. Mm. They on the mock it on a video and post it. Some of them aren't even hitting the buttons or doing whatever they're supposed to be doing. Their, you know, their hand movements are off. The equipment's not turned on. Nothing's plugged in. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But things like that is why. Yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen the movie Pop Star by any chance? I haven't seen it. It's um, I think it's Andy Samberg. Do you know who Andy Samberg is? Yeah. It's like a mockumentary with like like Nas is in it, DJ Khaled's and Usher. Like I think it came out in like 2017 or something. It's mm-hmm. so like all the big celebrities were in it at the time, and it was like him. Be Andy Samberg being like a pop star. It was like a mockumentary though, right. and like they started out as like a pop group called the Style Boys, and then it turned into like Andy Samberg being the breakout star, and everyone else doing their own thing. Like one of them started working on a farm. The other guy became demoted to being the DJ, but all he did was press play like on an MP3 right. player. <laughs> so <laughs> things like that. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, DJing's a interesting deal. I'm still confused because like you can be called a DJ in radio, but you're not a DJ also. Right. So well, what is where does that come from? Even that because they used to. Okay. They used to DJ. I mean, they used to play records. They didn't have any other formats. Mm-hmm. They had tapes, reel to reel tapes, but they all used to play records. So they were DJs, and eventually they just are personalities. Mm-hmm. Like how's Howard Stern called a DJ? Right. Right. You look at, you look at, you can Google who's the highest paid DJ Howard Stern is. He's number one. Yeah. But I'm like, well, he doesn't DJ. He's not a <laughs> DJ. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. So record deals. How many record deals did you have before you decided I could make my own record deal? Uh, label? So the first deal I got, it never happened. The deal happened. Hmm. I was late turning in the master recordings. Because you were working with like a girl that's mom was like. Right. Yeah. She was in high school. Yeah. It was very hard to go to the studio. But <laughs> we'd go when we could go. And so eventually, recently, just recently, mm-hmm. I found out that the label actually went bankrupt. And that's why oh. the record didn't come out. <laughs> I thought it was because we turned it in past the deadline and they just said, forget you guys. Like, wait, wait. You were saying. I heard you said that like that made you want to stop music. Right, when I they stopped show. at that point. So, no, I stopped wow. at that point. And that, I mean, you got to think, man. You're young and you have all these dreams yeah. and aspirations and then you just get crushed, right? Wow. You're just like, you know what? I'm done. That's a full circle moment now, though, to hear that, that it was because bankruptcy versus them not believing right, in the... Right, right, right. Holy... So... I was done, and that was probably a few years. It wasn't that long, you know. When your younger years seem like forever, when you're older, it's like. Mm. But uh, I actually picked up the main source album, Breaking Adams, and when I heard it, it blew my mind, and I was like, oh, I want to get back into this. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. So shout out Large Professor for saving me. Hell yeah. And then I got back into it then. Trying to think my next deal. I think my next deal after that was with Ubiquity Records. 
Okay. And that is, did you use your previous record deal as like a resume to reach out to the next deal? Or how did no, that No, it's crazy. So I met this guy and he lived literally like two blocks from me. And he DJed and collected records. And he came over to my spot and he was telling me the store in San Francisco he buys records from called the Groove Merchant. Mm. He said they're starting a record label. Mm. I said, oh, maybe we should do something with them. I said, well, what are they putting out? What are they doing? And he said, I don't know. So he called them from my house and <laughs> played them some of my beats over the telephone. And the guy said, yeah, let's do something. <laughs> And then and then he signed us. Dang. So we're on the I'm on the very first Ubiquity release. Wow. And they went on to become a, a big, pretty big label. They're still around now. Dang. Like they put out a lot of stuff. Huh. So during all this time or did you have like friends around you that were also getting deals, or was this really like a thing where like No, nobody were... was getting deals. Huh. Everybody was dabbling with music and DJing. And rapping, yeah, nobody was getting deals. So what made what what was in your mind where you went from? What was the switch from being like, I'm doing this for fun, like my friends are, to being like, this is something I could generally like make an income from, and get deals from. The funny thing is, I never thought of making an income from it. I just wanted to walk into a store and see my record next to somebody else, like. Hmm. I want my record next to Run DMC. I want my record next to Ultra Magnet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just wanted like honestly, I just wanted a record and I wanted it in the stores. Yeah. I never thought of a career or making money. Hmm. That's a good. I just wanted to walk in and and say, oh yeah, look at that. Like. Hmm. God. Okay. So, with deals that you were part of. What was the reasoning behind, like, going through so many deals? Was it a mixture of, like, deals ending, or are they, like, one-off deals, or how did how did your deals well, work? Well, the first one that I told you, we never Ended. came out. Right. So the second one was the ubiquity thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I could have put it out myself, but I'm like, well, why? Let somebody else pay for it. Why right. spend my money? Got That's it. how I looked at it. Let mm-hmm. them do it. Interesting. And then what what year was that? I think that was 92. Okay. So, and how long were you part of that deal for? So that's the funny thing. So they the record they did was a compilation. And we had a song on it. And then we ended up finishing an album. The group was called The Sharpshooters. Yes. Yeah, yeah I checked them out. We ended up doing finishing an album and we took it to them and they didn't like it. They didn't want to put it out. So that's when we go to the next thing. Got it. And that's when we started Conception Records. Mm. Because at that point, since it was done, and I didn't really have, at that point, I didn't know like how to get a deal or how to shop it. The first one was just luck, right? Mm. We called the guy on the phone, played something over the phone. And so I said, well, let's just put it on ourselves. Hmm. How did you know that was you had some... It was always that you just just wanted this music out there, kind of, or did you know you had something? Like, did you know? Did you know? Did you like know your worth at some point? No, like I said, we just loved it and we're having fun. 
Huh. I've never really thought about it like that. That's so interesting. I feel, because nowadays I feel like everyone just, they don't even have to be having fun and they'll try like shoot it, shoot for a record deal or something. Right. They're like, they're not really in it for the right reasons. And it seems like you were in it for the right reasons, but weren't even thinking about the bigger picture of no, it. No, not at all. <laughs> huh. Like, not at all. Is that a mindset people should hold on to, though? Like, do you recommend that type of mindset for artists? I just think if you're... I or, mean, things are so different, though. Because hmm. I always felt like if you're good, it's going to happen for you regardless. If you hmm. stay at it and don't quit. Right. It might take a long time, yeah. But it'll 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 finally get there, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I yeah I agree with that because sometimes even if from like a hip hop perspective, like certain hip hop artists who have been making music for decades and maybe not have gotten a break. By the time they do get a break, they also have a catalog for people to look on, right? Look at and, even kind of like the comp the Weedles Groove thing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them groups got looked over. Mm. Nobody knew about them. When I put the comp out, it shined light on the groups. Some of them got back together. Some of them started working and performing again, doing shows and doing things. Mm. But it took 20, 30 years for somebody like me to come along and discover it and bring it out to people. Yeah. So it took a while, but they finally got on. They didn't have huge success, but they had some success. Yeah. It's so funny because I was, uh, I had I was looking at the album today and I realized I had liked a few songs from that album like months ago before I even knew who you were. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's that's so, that's so funny. But even when I met you, because I thought it was funny, because remember my man was he was like, you don't know who he is. He's yeah. like, you're from Seattle, you don't know who he is. Yeah, that's oh man, that's so that's so wild. Maybe there needs to be like more things to like maybe events to bring more people together i don't know i don't know it is what it is it is what it is it is what it is i mean but from an artist's perspective you have to think that way maybe from someone who's like supposed to be a platform i feel like i have to think of it in a different light maybe but you also have like a show so is your you have a platform too so maybe you should be thinking of it in that way or no or maybe like you're 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 older you're way older than me so you don't have to think about it maybe that's a mission. Yeah, I don't I'm think I think to... about it. <laughs> yeah. I just work. Huh. As long as I can work, do what I love, and I'm making a living, taking care of my family, that's yeah. all that matters to me. Right? Right. I don't need to be a household name. That would and who and honestly I always say who would really want that anyway, right? Yeah. I could walk down the street and nobody says nothing to me, right? Fair enough. Like, why would you want that lifestyle? Yeah. And I look at things like I've literally spent my whole life doing this and you know, I'm good, but you see people that come and go or people have huge success and I'm better off than they are right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just crazy. Right. Like it's cra- Life is crazy. What I would rather, I think rather be at where I'm at and doing it, how I'm doing it mm-hmm. and just have longevity and be good than having like some, Huge flash in the pan, right? One hit wonder or something. So, how does longevity happen, though? Well, I always say, don't quit. Fair. The secret is, don't quit. It's hip hop, and you don't stop. Yeah, that's that's the slogan. 
Hmm. Do you think some people quit before they realize they've quit then? I don't know if that sounds weird to say, but... No, I do think so. Okay. For sure. Hmm. Then how do you how do you prevent that from happening? I don't know. I, I feel like for me, at least, what makes me keep going is like I hit milestones, whether I they're milestones I'm looking for or not. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, you just do it. Like if do you do you still hit milestones? Like what are milestones for you now? I think about things all the time. Like right, like how I said coming up, I just wanted a record. Yeah. I just wanted to have a record in the store. I have that. Yeah. We could probably go into any record store around here and I could pull something out that I worked on or did. Damn. Right? I have that. Yeah. That was a goal. And so I got that goal. Well, what's next? Um, I don't know. I want to perform in an arena. Okay. Yeah. I've done that a few times. You know, I've done that. Hmm. I want to DJ around the world. Did that. Want a radio show. Did that. Hell yeah. Like I almost have done everything that I wanted to do. Has your right. has your hobbies changed? Like right now, when people ask me what my hobbies are, I say it's literally podcasting, and then anything I do outside of podcasting relates back to podcasting. Right. So for you, no, now, okay. nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing. That's great to hear. <laughs> Nothing. Right. Yeah. I still want to go to record stores every day, mm-hmm. even though I walk out empty-handed most of the time. <laughs> no, I still want to do it. It's still gets me excited Hmm. you know i still want to get up and eat cereal and watch cartoons like i still want to do all this stuff fair enough so when was when was the idea or like the decision to start working in radio because when i met you at the snoop's dog show you're briefly telling me a story that you worked in radio in the early 2000s something and then got kicked out of radio and yeah so ness was doing the show, and he moved. He moved to California. And then they tried a few DJs out. I don't know. None of them worked out. And they offered me the show. It was the rap show, the hip-hop show. And so I took it over. Super ecstatic. It's not something I set out to do, you know. But they asked me, and I definitely wanted to do it when they asked me. And then, so I said, well, we're going to rebrand, because it was called uh, Rap Attack. So I rebranded it to Street Sounds, which it still is to this day. Mm. Was that a big thing to do, though? Like how I just it... wanted to come in fresh. I'm like, Got if it. you're bringing me in, bringing fresh blood in, let's start fresh. Like, Got it. Same time slot, same format, but new DJ, new name. And uh, I'm not, I don't remember how long that lasted. I think a few years. Mm. And then uh, I was let go for some strange reasons. Dun, dun, dun. That we won't get into, but uh, uh, that happened, and then I I just started getting busy. Like I didn't want to do radio. I wasn't concerned. I didn't care. I didn't want to do radio at all. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd be guests like I did, like Sway's show in L.A. Mm-hmm. I'd be guests on 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 show other shows. You know, a guest DJ or guest mix or whatever. That's sick. You know, over the years. Yeah, and then. When I got back on KEXP. So here's the funny thing. They actually asked somebody I know to come in. They said they needed a soul and funk DJ. They're doing this new show. Hmm. They asked somebody and they couldn't do it because they were overseas. Hmm. So 
all these people were hitting me up because they heard about it. They're like, oh, you're like, it's a no brainer. Go get this show. Yeah. And I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I didn't want to do it because I was traveling so much. I was never home. I'm always working. I don't have time to go do it. And I thought, you know, so many people want me to do it. I'm going to do it because mm-hmm. people want me to do it. And that, so I applied and I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I applied and I, I, oh, and I didn't get it. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Oh, and then, so uh, I'm like, well, like I say, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think that was a year or two later. And then COVID came. Yeah. And I wasn't doing nothing. Nobody was doing anything, right? We were yeah. in our houses. Nobody was doing anything. Mm. And they called me. I think a year into COVID and they had got rid of the guy they hired the first time. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) I don't know if he quit or they got, I don't know what happened, but they called me and I thought to myself, I'm going to go do it at least for now because I'm not working. I'm not making any money. I'm not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Why not? Right. Why not? Yeah. And so I went and I absolutely love it. Hell yeah. I feel so at home there. I feel like that's really what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. So what is that? I don't even I don't even think I've been into a it's at KXP. I don't think I've even been inside KXP. Yeah. I worked at ninety two point five for a little bit. Uh-huh. But like so what is it like? You you enter and then there's like a booth set up for you to DJ and it just plays over the radio or how or is it like pre mixed or how does any oh, of that work? Everything's live. Wow. Everything is live. But the thing with I mean, I lie. I really DJ on my show. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, the midday mix, uh, what is it, midday uh, variety mix, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I wouldn't say iTunes, but there's a big computer, and they just pick and play songs. It's like a playlist. They're not deal. DJing. They're like, you're right. Yeah. Like, Vitamin DJs, um, Lace Cadence DJs, I DJ, all the uh, uh, expansions guys, they all DJ. I just met Lace for the first time. Yeah. Um, so they're doing something with KXP and yeah, he's going to Africa. Yeah, <laughs> that's craziness. Yeah, but see, like, yeah, it's like crazy, crazy. Yeah. Wow, that's like a full circle moment for like people who really push the scene in Seattle to be in places like in right. power like that in radio in Seattle. But that goes back to me saying, don't quit. Yeah. And it all comes around, right? Yeah. I said. Don't quit, and it might take a while. Yeah, but now we're all there. <laughs> like it, it all came around. We're all family. We're all there. Wow, that's wild. I think that's. I usually ask people for like some final advice. I feel like that's kind of that's the, the advice. That's the don't advice. quit. If you love it and that's what you want to do, don't quit. Yeah, no matter how hard it is. Hundred percent. Right. I know you got to pay your bills, so you might have to get a job somewhere. Mm. But you can still do what you want to do. You just got to make the time and make it work. Hundred mm. percent. Okay, I have a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Do you think radio is still important in Seattle? I would say specialty shows. Yes, it is. But I would say specialty shows. Okay. Because the specialty show. They can play all the different stuff. Mm-hmm. A variety mix, yeah, you're going to get variety, but it's going to be pretty much the same old, same old things you know. 
they're not really dipping into this or even like yeah so i guess you could say like street sales is a specialty show yeah right so a local rapper could say hey hit up vitamin hit up yaddy hey here i'm such and such here's my song can you get it on okay yeah one more time who who are some artists i mean who are some djs that you recommend artists reach out to Vitamin D. Vitamin D. Yaddy. What you do, just go to the website of any station. Okay. I guess people see, even do that, yeah. See who the DJ is for what show, and then contact them directly. Hmm. Let's see, here's the thing. A lot of people a lot of people don't even think, like you said, don't even think they, they can get play. Mm-hmm. They don't even try. Yeah. And if they try, they usually say, well, who's the manager of the station? And they send them a song. Well, he don't care. <laughs> You know how many songs he probably gets every day? I mean, all of us. Yeah. All the DJs, but he's just going to toss it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At least the DJ on the show will might like, oh, it's local? Let me see. Oh, it's pretty good. Or let me play it. Mm-hmm. What I used to do, I used to do um, the first time I was on, I did this thing called Bump It or Dump It. Mm. And I'd play someone's demo, you know, like a local singer. Have the audience decide, you guys like this or not. Right. That's a good idea. Yeah. Huh. See, like, I'm trying to figure out a way. I don't think I've fallen into a box because I'm able, I interview so many different types of people. Like, today, even, um, I was at Safeway. And I just had probably, I think it was the second time I've ever had a chef on the show, like a week ago. I saw that. So I saw the clip. Yeah, yeah. Like I, said, I haven't heard a show, full show yet, but I went through your clips. Okay. Thank, those are the like, best oh, things. I was like, this is parts. dope. I was like, he has everybody on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but was, that's good. That means you're open-minded. You're not, you don't have that tunnel vision. A hundred percent. You're not focused on just one single thing. But like, I was in Safeway today and I was entering and some guy was walking out and he's like, Nast, is that you? I was like, huh, is this like an artist I met or something? Because like, it's not an issue, but I feel like a, th- a lot of my audiences are other artists, whether it's in Seattle or outside of Seattle, because mm-hmm. I interview people outside of the country even. And it was just someone who had checked out the Chachi interview, and they're just like a normal person. I was like, ah, oh, that's awesome. So I need to, I want to find a way to connect more with just like everyday people and i feel like that just takes time i guess i don't know because i've done a really good job of like building community and i can go into like whatever music scene in seattle and someone's like oh my gosh it's nice and that's a great feeling but when you can really reach people outside because one of my friends was saying that they're like all my friends saying are saying i'm up next and then i don't have enough plays or anything i'm like dude when you're saying all your friends all your friends are artists you need to find a way to actually connect with everyday right, people with, the, with an audience yeah so i think everyone struggles with that to a certain extent that's the hardest but, part yeah you know the easiest part making mm. the music yeah you know the hardest part selling it yeah so you need an audience to do that so you, the hardest part is building your audience mm-hmm. what makes you like you said what makes the average person come back and check for you All right if they hear your song once what makes them come back and listen again and again and again mm-hmm Right, hundred percent. You have to find that and, and see what that is. And persistent, persistence. I like that you said that you're persistent. I sometimes feel like I'm persistent to a fault, but it's gotten me into a lot of doors. So 
I'm happy. I feel that way myself. Yeah. And I say a lot of people, uh, you know, they see my gram or something and they think I'm like ultra successful. Hmm. And I'm just like, if they only knew the thousand doors that were shut in my face for the one that I walk, got to walk through. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. hundred like They don't even know the struggle. Mm-hmm. They just see the glory. Yes. Yeah. I definitely get a ton of no's every week and I just right. feel like it's, but at this point, my mindset is if someone says no, it's their, their loss, not mine. <laughs> it is though. That's really how I feel though. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm serious about that. A hundred percent. And I always say this, that's okay because I'll go to the next place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As a DJ, if this club doesn't want me, guess what? They're not the only club on earth. Right. Right? Yeah. And see, that's what I feel I'm like. I'm going to go to the ones that want me. A lot of people feel like, I feel like a lot of up-and-coming artists feel like if one person says no, then no one wants Yeah, them. they just get like, yeah, it, 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 it does something to them. Yeah. Gives their light. Yeah. But just stay focused, persistent, and uh, don't quit. That's what don't you're saying. Quit. Hell yeah. Well, what is the easiest way for people to, to reach you and where can they listen to you? Um, at Supreme LaRock across the board on all socials. Google is your friend. Yes. Check. And KEXP 90.3 FM, KEXP.org or the mobile apps every Sunday, 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. Hell yeah. And check out his previous groups. He has some pretty cool groups. So how many, there's like con men, there's... Buddha Bros, and there's Sharpshooters. Is there any other ones? Yeah, Conman was me and Jake one. We started out, you know, like producing, DJing together. And then uh, Sharpshooters, me and Sure Shot, he moved out of town. He's not even around here any longer. Butter Brothers, me and Scheme Richards from Philly. And then a ton of production and remix work. We were talking about, like, Jace and mm. all, these, all the local dudes. Hell yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I made it. Hell yeah. This has been the NAS podcast with Supreme LaRock. And we did it.